This is the Erasing Shame Podcast. Honest talk for healthy living, growing, and thriving. Welcome to a new episode of Erasing Shame, and this is a special episode because I am sitting across the screen and across the miles with Vanessa Yi, and she is a filmmaker from USC, and she does some other fascinating things that we'll unpack in the time that we have to, to, to today. And uh, she's in San Jose. I'm in Orange County here south of Irvine. And we'd like to start our show with the first question about shame. So, Vanessa, what do you think of when you hear the word shame? So I'm going to promise you a really good answer to the question. However, you said I was from USC, which I definitely have to correct. As a Bruin, I cannot cannot, um, claim to be a Trojan. I never would want to be a Trojan. I'm sure oh, I'm so sorry. wonderful USC people out there that I'm not going to hate on, but I cannot. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to move on. It's going to be great. But I just had to clarify that nobody thinks I'm ever from USC because I miss, I miss I come her from a Bruin family. Spoken, and I have egg on my face. And <laughs> I could fix and post, you know. We're not because no, we're, we're not gonna because this is a learning moment, a learning moment. Yes. Um, and now I will never forget that now. <laughs> and everybody's gonna be like, "Oh, she's so obnoxiously US UCLA." <laughs> so I almost said USC. Almost made the mistake myself. But th- and to answer your question, like I think when I think of shame, I also hear the word silence within that phrase. Mm. Shame and silence go hand in hand for me, especially as it relates to my documentary, as it related to my first conceptions as an adult of what shame is. Um, But I think, you know, as I was making the documentary and somebody mentioned, you know, like shame, the opposite of shame is shamelessness. And so there's a sense that shame can be useful. Um, and a lot of times we think of the East versus the West, you know, this, these kind of dichotomies and what's, what we really have is a range of things. And even in therapy, I'm trying to reinterpret that word. Like, so when I find shame useful is when behaviorally it helps me be a better person. It helps me be mm-hmm. others aware. And I think that's where my therapist is like, well, we don't have to use shame to describe mm-hmm. the idea of learning to think of others before yourself. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that's what is kind of beautiful about, you know, this idea of like a more group or community culture. Yes, shame is a very um, l- limiting factor. Like it's a very like, here's what is good and here is what is bad, you know, and it's, it, it shapes a lot of the way we form our character and things like that. Um, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for better, for worse. Right. Um, but sometimes right. I think that I learned how to be a better listener because I was shamed as an extrovert mm-hmm. to go, Hey, you know, hold space for these other types of people. So I have a little bit of like, I'm trying to nuance that word in my mind, if that makes sense. No, that's excellent. And that's some of the conversation that we've delved into that shame, because it's not talked about, and therefore it grows and festers in silence. Uh, as we started our conversations on the Erasing Shame podcast, we realized we don't even know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And there are so many dimensions to it, like you said, the good side, as well as the motivational side, as well as the mm-hmm. relational 
and group oriented side and um, and how it shows up when we do talk about it or when it shows up in film and what kind of conversations that starts up. But before we get into your documentary, how have you experienced shame, whether it was in your family or in your um, teen or high school, college, young adult life? Just one story that you would feel okay sharing mm -hmm. so that people kind of get a little background for um, who you are and what motivated you to create this documentary? Um, one top of mind instance of shame that I've experienced is being shamed for not being Asian enough or not Chinese mm -hmm. enough specifically. So I'm a third generation Chinese American. And, um, you know, um, I talk a little bit about it in my film, but it means you're very Americanized. Like mm -hmm. I never went to Chinese school. My, my go-to example is I was in soccer camp. While everybody was doing aerobics in Chinese school, you know, those Saturday aerobics where the, the radio is playing and the woman is, you know, shouting instructions in Chinese. So uh -huh. that's definitely not my experience. So I would get shamed by other Chinese people, um, but also um, people who weren't Chinese. Like my Russian documentary professor was like, how come you don't know your mother tongue? And you know, before I had conceptions of what it meant to be a Chinese American or stronger conceptions, to be a Chinese American or an Asian American, it was very much like, yeah, I wish I knew Chinese, but at the same time, I'm very much, I'm very Asian in other ways that don't necessarily have to do with language. And so, um, but I, I've held it with me because not only was I shamed for not speaking Chinese, but when I did speak Chinese, I didn't know the difference between Toisan and Cantonese. And they're two different dialects, you know, for those who don't like know, like they're close enough, but they're also so different that if you didn't realize I was speaking Toisan, you think I was speaking bad Cantonese. So, um, yeah, like I got made fun of for speaking what I thought was Cantonese, but it was actually Toisan. So, you know, like it, it kind of motivated me not to speak any Chinese for fear of getting ridiculed and things like that mm -hmm. so yeah mm -hmm. so. I'm, I'm the same way so i came to the u.s when i was eight okay and at home we always spoke mandarin because my parents were older uh-huh and i i would say i don't advertise that i speak mandarin but oh, I, okay. I, I can because when when i do i sound like a second grader oh, okay so even though i look like a teenager or a young adult and so it just uh, people get a kick at Oh, you talk a little kid, or why is your manner so bad? You know, just mm -hmm. we're saying so. Um, it reinforces my reluctance to embrace more of my Asianness, and that's unfortunate. I don't know where that comes from. Did you discover that as you started doing research for your documentary? Um, where shame comes from, or where shame on that particular issue? What? Why is it that uh, us Chinese people shame each other for not speaking Mandarin well enough? Um, I think shame is just, is used as a, like, um, uh, behavior modification. Like it's the strongest behavior modification tool that parents uh. usually have. Um, I mean, you think about food and food is like one of those really basic things, but like not eating all the food on your plate is a very like shameful thing. Um, coming late, you know, like it's, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. very, you're made to feel like kind of humiliated. And, and the, I think the intense okay. thing about shame is also it's usually like it feels like a character thing or something mm -hmm. that you 
have done wrong that you need to rectify right away. So it's like, well, why don't you know Chinese? Like, why aren't you more this or that? And it's it's all about those ex expectations that others have put on you that you're just not living up to. Yeah, that that word expectation makes me anxious already. So, <laughs> so, so given given that backdrop, um, what motivated you to get into film school, and then how did you arrive at this thesis that became the documentary called Laundromat? Yeah, um, great questions. I think um, the thing, like my pathway into film, was like very unexpected. Um, I was like thinking about PR advertising mostly because I had no idea what to do with my life. And more and more, we should like not expect 20 year olds to have it like all figured out. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, so I started getting interested in films. I started watching films with friends who were very into film. I was like, Oh, this is really amazing. And then, um, I started taking like practical application classes for communications. Mm -hmm. and film and I started realizing that of all my classes the film classes were the ones I spent the most time in mm. I was like oh what if I could do this like what if this is my thing and then um at the end of my time at UCSD my undergrad um I saw this film it was at an IV conference um like, I don't know how many people of your listeners know about InterVarsity, but like, um, it was a missions conference at UCSD. And um, I saw this, it was like, it was a really short video, but it was basically these medical missionaries, you know, going into um, what I think was Cambodia or Laos. And there was, um, you know, like there was a lot of civil war at that point and they were you know, helping people of both sides. Like they were going through the jungles, these medical missionaries and trying to heal whoever they could find. Mm -hmm. And what I realized as I was watching was that there was somebody following them. There was somebody with a camera witnessing kind of like these people do this amazing thing, but also these horrific things, right? Like these people mm -hmm. who were like in deep fear um, for their lives, people who were hurting each other, you know, and they would help Whichever side. So I, you know, like I had this, like, like it was a very like Damascus moment where I felt like, you know, light shines and you're like, ding, like this is, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want to tell stories. I want to bear witness to other people's, you know, um, kind of stories. Um, and so, um, you know, fast forward, oh gosh, um, at least four years after that, when I finally got the courage to go to film school, um my I'd always told my mom like ah, I'm thinking of going she's like when are you actually going to do it you know and that's kind of it's kind of different for an Asian parent to be like yeah film school like what a great idea you know um so I was lucky in that way and also lucky that I had like a passion and a specific goal um after graduating so got into film school and then um kind of the what we call in um script writing, the inciting incident was that my mom got sick. So my mom got sick my second year of film school. And like, she was, we like, she was rushed to the hospital. We found out she had pancreatitis, you know, which is like oh where, yeah, the enzymes start eating the pancreas. Like it's very painful and it's very scary. Like whenever your parent gets sick, it's like, it's such a like disruptive, you know, thing. And, um, so, you know, I, I was thinking about all these things because my family didn't want to tell my extended family. 
And so that silence around the sickness kind of extended beyond and into my school life, which like, I was like one of the few Asians and yet I felt compelled to keep my mom's sickness a secret from classmates. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, what do they care? Like they don't live under the same cultural rules um, as you do. And yet just there was a pervasive silence, almost as if I was being physically like, you know, silenced. Um, and I don't think it was my family's intent for me to feel shame around the sickness, but um, there was definitely something heavy, you know, that I wanted to examine. And I was sitting in her hospital room because we would do, um, we would take turns doing overnight stays. So I was just sitting and I just started writing. I just started writing and writing and writing. It's like, you know, what causes this? Why am I like this? Are other people like this? And then from there, I kind of like did a one page. Like I pitched it to my professor. She was like, give me a one page of this. She Mm -hmm. read it and she, I said, I emailed it to her and she like called me, left a voicemail and said, thank you for this gift. Hmm. You know? Yeah. It was a very intense, like solidifying experience. Like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. this is, this is something I'm going to pursue in my second Mm -hmm. year as my second year film. And then when I was done with that, I was like, well, you know what? There's a larger story to be told. So then I did it as a kind of like a feature featurette for my thesis. So that's, that's the long answer to your question. Well, we have time. This is podcasting. There's no clock. There's no advertising, (laughs) please. So thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, it has a very personal genesis to this, um, uh, really powerful project and i've been looking and, and pursuing you for well over a year because when i heard about the documentary i was like wow here's a documentary that's willing to go to places that uh most of us as asians and asian americans do not go because we don't want to air our dirty laundry mm-hmm. that's the metaphor that we mm-hmm. uh, many of us grow up with and then as i think about the title i'm at laundromat I don't think I've bumped into Asians at the laundromat because we all like to have our own uh, appliances at home. And um, I know in my family, they were, even though we ran a small restaurant and motel business, they still thought of themselves as higher class than other people. Mm. So having that hierarchy mm. was very important to Chinese people. At least that's my point of reference. Mm-hmm. So Picking the metaphor of laundromat where people began to share openly and honestly. And unfortunately, I didn't find out about the documentary until it was after it was released and after all the screenings. And it says something like, coming soon, it'll be available on DVD or streaming. Mm-hmm. And it, it never came, never came, never came. I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> and now I finally get to talk with you. And as this episode is being released, your streaming is coming online on almost everywhere people stream so i'm so excited to get to see it but also to talk to the documentary maker so thank you for making time to unpack some of that background oh yeah absolutely i think um um i mean it's nice to hear that like you were also anxiously awaiting because it it sometimes you as a filmmaker can feel like very isolated especially documentary you know you're you're sitting in a room you're working on this thing and you have collaborators, but then, you know, in terms of interacting with your audience, that's always a tougher thing because in general, these things are kept silent, right? Like we don't, like you talk, you, you hit the nail on the head. Like 
we just don't want to talk about, you know, mental health. We don't want to talk about shame. Um, and then um, you're right. Like the laundromat itself, I think, um, is supposed to create a space, is supposed to um, initiate dialogue. And it's just the start of something, you know, like when I was first conceptualizing this thing, I had this idea about a community. I wanted a forum. The original website actually hosted all these stories and I was asking people like, hey, submit your stories. And there was like a, a second life of these beautiful stories that people submitted. Um, like similar to the farewell, um, I had a friend who submitted a story where her dad got sick and didn't mm. tell her and her sister until they graduated from college, you know? And it was just like, you know, it was it's kind of devastating for her like as an adult to think, well, like my family didn't, trust me or they thought oh my education was more important than how I felt um about you know their health and things like that so yeah I mean doing the laundromat and putting it out there because it is it's based on my personal story it's a little bit in like uh intense and scary but then I'm also like excited to kind of like help others not like feel less alone to go to see themselves in these stories but also like for those who are outside the culture to kind of understand contextually like where where a lot of this pressure comes from like all these like model minority things and mm. you know um because sometimes the things that we are hiding aren't they're very prosaic like they could be about death you know they could be about you know, the way that we interact with our parents and how tense that can be, mm -hmm. you know, but the most important things in our lives, we still have trouble expressing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I also found it unusual in the years that I've been in the laundromat as a college student and as a young adult and during times of transition, I didn't exactly get into personal conversations. So I was curious how you framed it as a place where people did open up and share those vulnerable stories. Um, so you're talking about like, how did I get people to kind of share, like open up? Uh, that, on that's the part one. And uh -huh. then part two in a laundromat setting. Cause I don't get into those conversations or am I going to the wrong laundromats? <laughs> well, um, it'd be amazing to have. Cause the machines are running. It's loud, you know, um, well, um, you know, I think that, yeah, laundromats themselves don't really, like, literal laundromats don't really um, lend themselves to, like, amazing conversation. Okay. And okay. it's <laughs> all about creating metaphor metaphorical spaces wherever you find them. Um, okay. Oftentimes, it's like, you know, let's, let's go grab boba, right? In college, it's uh -huh. like, let's go out, go. let's go, you know, do this or that. And sometimes, like as I grow older, it's like, I have to make intentional time to, especially since I've moved out of LA and away from most of my circles, like intentional, like phone time to mm -hmm. say, Hey, like, let's talk about something that's like very deep and dear to my heart. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the way that I sourced people for this documentary, at least from a friend perspective was who was I having conversations with beforehand? Like, who am I already sharing some of these life things with? Um, and all the people, you know, for better or worse, were, like, people that I went to UCSD with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, I wasn't getting, like, this wide 
variety. It's like I I focused in on like um, my high school friend and then two friends from uh, UCSD who had already started to share with me. And even though I thought I knew their story, like as we sat and talked and talked, like they kept peeling away layers. And it was such um, like a privilege to get to hear their stories. That's that's what I love about being a filmmaker is just the opportunity to sit and listen and experience someone sharing like parts of their soul with you, basically, you know, mm-hmm. especially as an Asian American, it feels even more significant, you know? Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Well, thank you. Thank you for creating that space and capturing some of those stories. Uh, anything else you want, want to say about the documentary itself so that people will understand why they need to get uh, onto that streaming and watch it as soon as possible? Yeah, I wish I had somebody else here because honestly, people always have better one-liners about my film because like they're like, <laughs> "What's your film about?" I'm like, "Uh, Asian cultural silence and shame, um, the high numbers of suicide and depression within the Asian American mm. community." And none of those are like big sells. I think what you know, I want people to know about the film is that you know you are seen, you're not alone. Um, if you've ever wondered of like how to talk to your parents or if, if it's even possible, like I think this film is about opening up your eyes to that possibility. Um, what was important to me about this film was showing a range of people wherever they were at. There were some people who would they felt like they'd never have a better relationship with their parents, that their parents would never change. And then I have pr- friends who by the end of the movie were like, I have to be more of the adult in this situation and actually extend grace to my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, here's the thing, like, um, you know, I, I talk about parents as like, as if they're the ones always um, who are the villains here, but, you know, we're all perpetuating these cycles of, mm-hmm. you know, silence and shame and how we do things differently is, you know, what's going to define us. So like, no, there's no, there's no villains. There's no um, heroes. There's just people who are like processing out how they were raised, you know, um, mm-hmm. like these events that have happened that are really painful. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to show was even that process of going like the realization that like, Oh, I had to, you know, I have a, one of the characters in the film, he, his brother dies mm-hmm. and it's, he's a middle and his older, older brother dies and he's like, oh, I have to be the older son. And what does that mean now? Like, who am I now that I'm the oldest child? Like, wh- what's my role now? And, you know, we're often asking ourselves as, you know, Asian Americans, you know, like, there's always like that sibling hierarchy, right? You like, yes, oldest one is delegated all the responsibility, you know, and then everybody else falls in the line. But then it's, yeah. you know, those roles and like, yeah, there's just so much examination that I hope, like, will really, even though it was made six years ago now, or started 10 years ago, mm. you know, I, you know, I think there's so much that's so relevant, you know, I watch, I'm going to watch The Farewell eventually, and I think, you know, it's very apparent that, um, or even Crazy Rich Asians, you know, mm-hmm. we have so much that we want to talk about and share and, um we're still trying to figure out those things. We're still trying to find our laundromats where we can get some of that stuff out and actually share with others and be vulnerable 
I think that's a scary thing. Yes, very much so. So I think, um, it, yeah, I, I, I do sense that, I do sense a, a feeling of hope that these stories are uh, opening up, not just to Asian Americans, but also uh, people worldwide. And we're able to get a better look at the humanity that we have uh, as Asians and Asian Americans that was just unseen and yeah. kept silent. And we got stereotyped and misunderstood and we're hiding in pain and suffering needlessly, I would put it that way, and having a lesser quality of life. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, if this was a real talk show, we could say set up the clip and then you could show a clip of the movie. And <laughs> <laughs> They're just going to have to go to the website. Can I ask you a question actually? Yes, go ahead. Um, if you could make a film based on your podcast, like hmm. what would that film be? Would it be something that's like scripted? Would it be a documentary? Like, what do you think you would have, you would create for yourself? Uh, the thoughts crossed my mind. Uh, Actually, more in a book format, but okay. we go the film format. Um, I could see the if 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 things go wildly bigger than my imagination, I could see the film being a chronology or a history of how erasing shame created a movement and actually did erase shame, mm. and not just on the topic of mental health, but on changing culture because now we're free to talk and and not be shamed for mm. being broken and having imperfections and having doubts and um all, all those things that we struggle with because shame keeps us from um getting the help we need when we struggle with mental health um feeling less than when we don't accomplish our personal expectations or someone else's mm. um being put down by others because we don't measure up to their standard or culture's standard and mm -hmm. so, on, so on. And um, I mean, the most obvious place where shame is the silent killer is the suicide rate is just way too high. And I think it's way too high in Asia and Asian American subcultures. Mm. And then it also exists in other minorities too. So as I began this erasing shame conversation that, I find Latinos and African-Americans, they have their flavor of shame also that the typical Anglo-white American doesn't. And that's yeah. not to say they don't have it, but, you know, Brene Brown has popularized it. But for her, it's such an individualistic, just a painful experience personally. But there's so yeah. much more when you're in a community. Mm -hmm. so, so I could envision erasing shame being an example of how to start something small that can easily multiply because I'm doing this with no budget, no staff. Mm -hmm. and I'm happy to help others start a conversation on shame and in, in the Latino culture, in the uh, African-American culture, uh, how shame affects relationships. There's so many topics. So I could see a whole network of podcasts. If people are willing to host that conversation, mm -hmm. the, the way you overcome shame is by having healthy, honest talk. Mm. And podcasting lends itself to that so easily. Yeah. Do you find that um, for Asian Americans, it's important to have the conversation like more explicitly about shame or are there other ways for people to learn how to erase shame? 
as Asian Americans? Yes, there are definitely other ways to do it. So I had, um, I've seen it done through art and poetry. And certainly you can do it through metaphor and other interactions with people. Because mm-hmm. I do think it does require interaction with people and not just a video game or an object. It, it needs to be a live interaction, I think, is what makes the difference. Mm. But I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not only talk therapy that everybody has to go through that path to find. Right. Yeah. I, I still feel like such um, a newbie when it comes to like talking about mental health issues within the Asian American community. But the more, you know, I stay involved with this film and also in other spaces where people are more cognizant and willing to engage in those discussions that, mm-hmm. yeah, that um, there's definitely not one right way to do it. And that, um, yeah, that we as Asian Americans have to find our own pathway towards that. Yeah. So. It's yeah, very- and, and for the record, uh, mental health is a daily struggle for me. So it's very much on top of mind all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realize that the more examples we have and the more um, conversations we have about all different aspects of life it helps mm-hmm. us to be healthier people and understand how to be gracious and understand that we're all in process and um, there are ways that we can find hope and healing and we don't have to despair when we're in a corner. Right. Yeah. Now, um, in addition to the laundromat, mm-hmm. you also wanted to foster conversations and you did that with your discussion board you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And you're also a fellow podcaster. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And um, I've listened to a few, uh, not all the episodes, but I listened to a dozen or so. And I really love the banter that you have with your co-host, um, April. Oh, yeah. I'm so lucky to have her. Seriously. (laughs) So how how is it that you came up with these uh, nicknames, Bull and Badger, and what do you talk about every week? Oh, my gosh. So um, I wish I had a better story for the Bull and the Badger. I literally do not. But um, (laughs) it was like in college when um, my friends were like, you know, we're talking about like, oh, what kind of animal are you? And then I got stuck with Badger, mostly because (gasps) I think people thought it would annoy me. And then it just it kind of stuck. I think badgers are pretty cute if you <laughs> you see that like a real badger. Um, and then for her, um, she's a Taurus, um, you know, like okay. the astrological sign. But also, um, I think there was a time where she was like kind of obsessed with the symbolism of the bull. Um, you know, I, I think about it kind of like separately. And like, you know, when you talk about a bullish market, like it's on yeah. the up, you know. So I think subconsciously maybe there's something there. But um for the bull and the badger, like when April decided to come in and do my documentary with me and to have these discussions, she um, wanted to make sure that these conversations that were happening in the movie could continue, but it didn't have to be so heavy all the time. Cause like you and I, we're not, you know, we're not sitting here like, you know, in heaviness all the time, you know, like um, uh-huh. we might, feel that but we also feel a different range of emotions and she wanted that reflected in the podcast so we do a lot of laughing like honestly yeah. it's a reflection of our friendship that's great i mean because i've known her since high, high school so it's been a long time but um in general you know like 
we find topics where like we're interested in it like hey have you ever thought of like talking to somebody about this or that you know um and we'd scratch our heads um but you know there's so much range to the asian american experience that's not that hard to kind of find people sometimes like what we'll do is we'll actually find people and we'll go what do you want to talk about because we've met so many cool people and i'm sure you've had this experience too with your podcast it's like mm -hmm. it's one of the most rewarding parts of podcasting is that you're conversating with people who you maybe never thought you would sit across from and you know you're you're getting new thoughts you're learning new things you're exposed to different perspectives and things like that and i always try to get people who i think like just they know more than me you know i want to soak up their knowledge like i just want to pepper them with questions and kind of examine the way that they are moving through life and the healthy ways that they kind of do things or their unhealthy things that they're kind of uh talking about and like um before i release a movie i'm trying to do a couple one is about online dating and then the other one is about uh -huh, um my friend who went through postpartum depression and um, just having more conversation, opening up about these things, because that's one thing as a mother, like there's so many expectations for you as a mom. And um, you feel like a failure when you're depressed, you know, you feel like a failure when you can't show up for your child, you know, in certain ways. And the thing is, you're sleep deprived, you know, um, you're lacking in energy, your body's going through all these hormone changes. So it's, it's, it's like, I don't know why more people don't have postpartum depression or it's probably just really underreported. Um, but those are the kinds of things that come up um, in, in, the, in the podcast and things like that. Um, we, were, we were kind of on hiatus actually since I moved up here. So we're back in it, season four, trying to finish out strong. So, Hey, what a coincidence. I'm about to start season four this fall. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to incorporate anything new for season four or hoping to? Well, I need a new co-host. So if you're oh. available, maybe we could work something out. <laughs> hey, yeah. Keep in touch. Like, um, okay. I love just talking to people. I think that's, uh, I guess you could say it's a gift or a curse, but I, I like to, <laughs> um, conversate. I like to dialogue with people. I mostly try to learn to listen better, but also like I'm the type who, um, Something that you say, like, I'll be like, oh, my gosh. Uh -huh. Then maybe think of something else. Let's keep uh -huh. continuing to have that conversation. Yeah. Probably why the podcasts yeah. are like an hour. Because you can't stop. We're constantly chatting. That's so, so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I, in, in my... Um... Uh, in my desire, I, I run into a lot of people that monologue. Ah, <laughs> sure. And... I don't want to lecture. So when I can find a good conversation, man, I want to be there. So yeah, with you on that. I'm with you on that. I, I, yeah, I find as an Asian American, like this whole thing of like, wait till the person stops speaking. Then you take turns. Like I get bulldozed at my workplace right now, mostly because <laughs> I'm like minority culture uh -huh. and I don't want to adapt to their style of conversation um but i don't know i'm, I'm going to figure something out but hey uh if you ever need somebody to kind of help pinch it you know like let me know i might be available um awesome i'm awesome yeah 
I'm always excited. Very full schedule though. (laughs) So it's a little bit full. It's a little bit full. I've been working a lot um, from this new job, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Are you staying healthy? I'm trying to, that's a great question actually. Cause, um, uh, so I see a therapist every other week. Um, and then, yeah. Um, and actually, so (laughs) I did the movie because, Uh so the movie was done in like 2013 and it still took me like another two or three years to actually go like, I want to go to therapy, even though I made this movie destigmatizing therapy. So, you know, like there's no shame in people for people who are ready. Mm-hmm. Once you're ready, like such a good process. And then I got lucky with my first therapist um, who I got through the Fuller, Fuller Seminary um, Clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the therapist that I have up here, I really lucked out on. Like mm-hmm. he's Asian American. Mm-hmm. Um, she's Christian. We can have these like, therapy sessions but also like kind of you know activate and she knows what i'm talking about mm-hmm. usually when we're talking about faith when we're talking about mm-hmm. sin talking about trigger words because i think when when you ask the question like what um what do you think of when you think of shame the church actually comes up a lot too like capital yeah. c church yeah. and like home churches and things like that and mm-hmm. um you know i think being a pastor's kid, I was exposed to a lot of expectations. I was exposed to like people like literally like straight up telling me like, well, you'd be pretty if you weren't so overweight, you know? And they didn't say overweight. They said fat. And I was like, cool. Mm -hmm. You know, like Asian aunties and stuff like that. And it's very Mm -hmm. much like you are inculcated to experience shame from a place that's supposed to embrace you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, from a place that's supposed mm-hmm. to embrace broken people. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I get into church spaces, it's very important for me to hear from the pulpit, like, you know, like when you're depressed, like something's not like wrong with you. Like don't pray it away. You know, like you can get help. Yes. Like there's other ways yes. to do things and it's, right. it's very important. So I, I went a little bit off track, but um, we were talking about a Lord. <laughs> This is what happens. If you're staying healthy, it's all right. Ah, yeah. So yeah, healthy, healthiness. So healthiness has to do for me with like that therapy, with finding mm-hmm. spiritual community. Good. And then Good. the third thing is um yeah, physical health. And so Excellent. I found boxing. Um boxing is my thing. Awesome. Right now, yeah, it feels so good because my I shifted my goal from like losing weight and like, you know, undoing bad habits to the idea of being strong. So like reframing to something a little bit more positive that I thought I could do and just show up for myself, like that really helped me get healthier, like mentally, and then actually commit. Because I think, you know, when it's a punitive thing, you're kind of like, oh, I have to work off this ice cream or this cake or, you know, like Mm -hmm. just a regular meal or I have to look a certain way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's discouraging because when you don't show up, then you beat yourself up. Yeah, the, the work is already hard enough as it is, and it just makes it harder. Right, right. Yeah. yeah so, well, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. You're making such great progress, and the film is being made available, streaming everywhere. Amazon Prime, yes. Amazon Prime, iTunes, Google Play, like Voodoo, some other places that Voodoo. I wouldn't even have thought yes. of putting. Yeah. 
like pretty much almost any platform, but like the three wow. main ones are yeah. Amazon, Google, and iTunes. Yeah. Great. But um, Great. yeah, Great. thanks for. So glad you reached the finish line. Finally. Yeah. Then, well, hey. What, what's the next film you're dreaming of? Oh, good question. Um, so I am doing. You're a filmmaker, less- so you know you're always. <laughs> dreaming. Oh, dude, it's it doesn't stop. Actually, um, I'll come home from work, and then you start working on the next thing. And so the thing that I'm working on right now is related to mental health, but actually is kind of coming at it from a very sideways, like, um, mm. yeah, sideways angle. Which is, I met this woman who's a um, an underwater photographer, wow. and she. What she does is she photographs people who have been through PTSD or who are currently experiencing PTSD, who have are survivors of cancer, survivors of car accidents, um, who are rape survivors, you know, all these like, yeah, survivors of abuse. And like, um, she'll do these underwater photography sessions. And there's great power in being underwater and um, feeling kind of like free and safe. And um, she wants that feeling that she gets from like scuba diving and swimming to transport that to other people. Um, And so she turns like um, the best example I have is that she like met this woman who's um, a breast cancer survivor. And this woman had a double mastectomy and was a dancer. Mm -hmm. And so um, what she decided to do was do a nude photography session. And it was a way of reclaiming, her femininity, her body, her beauty. And she takes these amazing, gorgeous photos of them underwater. They've got these like chiffon things. They're like, everybody looks like a mermaid. Um, there's, she even did some nice. veterans who are missing limbs. And it's like, mm-hmm. how do you mm-hmm. reinterpret your body in ways that can make you feel b- beautiful inside and out? So, um, yeah, so it's a much what a more fascinating idea. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very visual. Um, that's why I'm excited about it, um, and it's very different from things that I've done before, which is very like talking head interviews, like long sit down kind of things. So I'm excited. I'm really excited. Yeah, well, make sure your cameras are waterproof. Yes, <laughs> all of them are housed. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna have to start wearing a lot of bathing suits. So okay. So uh, where do people go to connect with you on the documentary? What's your website address? So the website address is thelaundromatdoc.com. So that's T-H-E-L-A-U-N-D-R-O. Yep, D-R-O-M-A-T-D-O-C.com. Laundromat spelled with an O, doc, as in documentary, dot com. Um, and that's my new improved website from the last one. Um, so hopefully people are still finding film. People are still like being exposed to the podcast and the community that you can find. And, um, you know, like we have like uh, suicide hotline numbers and things like that on there. Cause like um, one thing that, um, you know, April was experiencing when she was depressed was like just Googling things. And that's mm-hmm. all people like that's the best way that people find resources nowadays. So I'm hoping to kind of connect with those people online who are just seeking something where, yeah, they feel less alone. So, and so they feel seen and heard. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for making yourself available for that. We'll add a link in the show notes at erasingshame.com and uh, I'll link to your Facebook page, your podcast, anything Thank else you. You link to Twitter, Facebook, anything else you use. 
I don't do Twitter. Um, we definitely have Facebook. <laughs> um, it's like okay. w, it's like facebook.com slash the laundromat documentary, that whole phrase, which is Great. way too long. Um, if you, uh, yeah, I wish I could do Twitter. I just can't. That's okay. It's, it's to preserve my mental health, basically. No, excellent. Do that. <laughs> Erasingshame.com. Keep it easy for you. And you can just click on the links. Vanessa, so wonderful to connect with you. And I will definitely stay in touch with you. Uh, be well, be healthy. Thank you. Hope to meet you in person one day. Yeah, I hope we can high five. And thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for wanting to see this documentary, wanting and to interact. And I think like, thank you for creating this podcast and for keeping it up. I mean, it's hard. It's hard when you're having to do it solo. It's hard when you don't have budget, but you know, like I, I see you making it happen and it's, it's something for yourself, but I think other people are finding it and really um, connecting. So congrats. Thank you, Vanessa. Yeah. You. Congrats to you. Can't Thank wait you. to see you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you for being a part of Erasing Shame. Please rate and review on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, and like on Facebook. Share with your friends and followers. Get all the details at racingshame.com.